On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about cruel and unusual punishment, but not in the way you would normally think of it. The Quebec Supreme Court has reduced the penalty of a mass murderer because they said giving him consecutive life terms, even though he killed six people in one shooting, is cruel and unusual punishment. Really? We're also talking about athletes and their money. It comes up every once in a while, but some of the comments Fred Van Vliet of the Raptors has made since signing his $85 million contract, I'm not sure they're going to play well. We'll talk about it. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. You may or you may not remember the name Alexandre Bissonnette. Uh, it's not for any good reason, I can assure you of that. Um, three years ago, you'll remember the story, if nothing else. Three years ago, he was the guy who went into a Quebec mosque and opened fire on people who'd arrive for evening prayers, ultimately slaughtering six of them. And I don't even need to you know, offer any adjectives. Just that description covers it. It was cowardly. It was heartless. It was cold. It was inhumane. It was all, I mean, it was everything. You just walk into a place where people are peacefully praying and start executing people. It's horrendous. Well, he pleaded guilty, and for that, he was convicted and received consecutive life sentences with no chance of parole for 40 years, which quite honestly, I think most people across this country would probably still deem to be too little. Nonetheless, 40 years, no chance of parole. Anyway, today, the Quebec Superior Court on appeal reduced his sentence to 25 years, took 15 years off the sentence before he could apply for parole and ruled that the consecutive life terms for which he was sentenced were unconstitutional because they amounted to, brace yourself for this one, here's the the magic words, because those consecutive life terms amounted to cruel and unusual punishment. It is stuff like this that I really believe makes people lose their minds and shake their heads at the criminal justice system sometimes. Joe Wambach is the executive director of the Canadian Crime Victim Foundation. He joins us. Joe, thanks for doing this today. I appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome, Scott. Maybe it's just the phrase cruel and unusual punishment that is getting me caught off guard a little bit with this one. And maybe if I ignored that, this wouldn't bother me as much. But that phrase, when, you, when you're talking about the guy who walks into a mosque where people are praying and just randomly kills six of them, and then you say he is suffering cruel and unusual punishment, it seems like a hard thing to wrap your head around. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, to me, I don't think I'll ever be able to understand it. Well, and I'm reasonably sure, and you deal with victims of crime, I, I'm reasonably sure that if you talk to many people or their families, because in some cases they're already gone, sadly, uh, and they see the conditions that people who commit violent acts in this country enjoy in our penitentiaries. I mean, that we're not exactly putting them in a Turkish prison here. Uh, it probably doesn't offer them a whole lot of comfort. Well, it's, it's not that. I think it's a larger issue than that. And I don't think most victims really care whether their uh, uh, victimizers are eating steak and watching movies as long as they are uh, uh, enjoying the consequence of their actions, as long as they're maintained in a facility and kept out of Canadian society so they won't do this to another group of people or another individual. One of the things this does, and and people have to recognize that uh, in 2011, I've been doing this for over 20 years, and in 2011, myself and many other people worked with the then government of this country 
to provide greater sanctions for mass murderers. Prior to this, uh, if you killed seven people, you were only sentenced for one. So that meant that the other six individuals and their families, uh, the lives of their loved ones were lost and there was absolutely no consequence for it. There was no sentence for it. There was no relief for them whatsoever. It devalued the lives of those individuals who's, who were murdered and it devalued the lives of the families. So there was a great hue and cry across this country and Parliament passed legislation allowing judges with discretion, and this didn't mean it was mandatory, but they allowed judges to have the discretion to sentence multiple mass murderers to consecutive sentences as opposed to concurrent sentences. So that if you were sentenced, uh, you killed three people, it is potential and it was possible to serve three consecutive 25-year life terms with no chance of parole uh, for 75 years. Now, the cruel and unusual circumstances and the cruel and unusual punishment is the punishment that goes to the victims and their surviving families because now they live with this for the rest of their lives. It seems cruel and unusual to now bring this back and say what he got was too harsh. That's the cruel and unusual part. Not only is it cruel and unusual, but what we are finding is that these appeal court judges uh, who are appointed individuals, they're not elected, they're appointed individuals, are now trying to socially engineer uh, Canadian society, and they are completely usurping the will of Canada. Those consecutive sentencing in 2011 was passed through the House of Commons, through the Senate, and given royal assent. That meant that everybody had a chance to get in on this, and the will of Canadians was put forward. Canadians wanted criminals who were convicted of multiple mass murders to serve multiple sentences to, to indicate the, the, the revulsion in society mm. of what those individuals have done. This particular appeal court has taken upon themselves to completely change that and to strike that out of the criminal code and go completely against the will of Canada without having any politicians or any discussion about it uh, in general. And I think that is not only wrong, but that court has lost its moral compass. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The position has been taken that prison and the penal system is not supposed to be punitive. It's supposed to be rehabilitative. And to a large measure, I'm okay with that concept, but I'm wondering if we've struck the right balance or if we've gone too far with removing the punitive side altogether from what we're doing. Well, it's it, years ago, it used to be called a penitentiary, which was, it, you were supposed to do penance penal. for your yeah. act. Uh, Now it's corrections. In other words, they're supposed to correct your behavior. However, most people don't recognize that when you, if you are sentenced for an extremely violent crime and uh, you're eligible for parole after, let's say, 10 years, and during that 10 years, you were supposed to attend uh, counseling, psychological sessions with qualified people to try and help you deal with your anger, whatever issues got you in that place in the first place. You don't have to attend any of those. Your warrant expiry or your release back into the community is not contingent upon you completing any courses that are offered or any additional support that are offered within a penitentiary in Canada. So you can sit there and mull and get angrier and become even worse 
than you were when you went in and you are released back out into, into society. There is absolutely no balance between the innocent people and the suffering that they go through on commission of a violent crime and what the offender or what the convicted killer or convicted murderer is going to do once he gets into a penitentiary. We are extremely frustrated, and most people in Canada, fortunately, will never have to experience uh, losing a loved one to an extremely violent crime. Those that have would never want anybody to experience it because what happens to the, in the system once there is an arrest and once there is a conviction is uh, is is just absolutely deplorable. And you, it, it, people, we've never talked get over it. There is no such thing as as um, as as getting over it. You live with it for the rest of your life. We've talked on this show with other guests, and I think with you as well, about, um, it's come up before about a number of people who have been moved out of the maximum security, people who've committed horrible crimes and are living in basically cottages or something, and people discover this. And then anytime somebody, myself or anyone else would say, well, there should be some element of penalty in this. Those people, myself and others who have said that, and many, many have said it, they seem to become the monster, not the person who is the monster. We're, 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 we're coined as, as the, the people that belong to the pitchfork and torch crowd. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, when, when uh, uh, there, is, there, there is very little consequence for extremely violent crime, and we learned about what happened to the killer of Victoria Stafford. She was yes. moved into a, uh, 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 they're called yurts, little huts where they can sit back and enjoy their life a little bit more. And this was only a short few years after she so, and her boyfriend so horrifically murdered that little girl. That family suffers every single day when they hear this. Their loved ones and their friends suffer every day. But this is not just an isolated incident. This happens across Canada on a daily basis. And it will continue to happen unless people start using their voice and speaking to their elected officials and try to make change. We did this back in 2011. The government changed. Now we have a government that is has uh, providing greater resources for those convicted of crimes than for their their victims. Well, and this case that we are just talking about now, the Quebec Supreme Court, we're, we could say very easily, well, it's just Quebec, let them deal with their own problems. Just this week on the show, we were talking about physician-assisted suicide, and that law has had to be rewritten across the country because of a decision by this very same court yeah. that said that the physician-assisted suicide law was not legal. So there is a very good chance that this decision by the Quebec Supreme Court about consecutive life terms will be something that gets adopted all across the country. It will be used as a precedent in every single argument provided by every single defense attorney in this country when they appeal the sentences that have been handed down by, by, a, by a judge. No question about that. This is already set the precedent. This is case law. It is, uh, it is discouraging. It really is. And, you know, uh, there are times, there are times, I'm not, I'm not a pitchfork and torch guy, and I don't think you are either. I, I know you work with victims. There are times when I look and I say, you know, I, we got to be very careful. When you walk in somewhere and slaughter six people with a gun and they're doing nothing and there's no question about whether it was you and it, the, the, you just take all of the but, but, but out of the argument, and then you get this. And uh, Joe, we got to run, but it is it is very discouraging. It really is. 
Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. We have to talk about this. We have to get more people involved in it. And I hope everybody can believe that anything is possible. They could find themselves in this position of being a victim of a violent crime. And we have to get this organized now. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, Steve Foxcroft is a guy who over the years has uh, not only been a regular talking sports, but also a guy who carries the the yardsticks at the Buffalo Bills games. But we're not going to talk about that part today. But Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming back again. Scott, uh, happy Thanksgiving or happy yes. Thursday, whatever it is for you. <laughs> whatever it is. Yes, it is also um, na- happy National Cake Day. So, oh, that's you, you know. Right up, my, right up our alley, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, sadly, sadly, yep. I'm uh, the, ever since this COVID thing hit, the gym has stopped, and and oh. I am now at the point where I, I am beginning to, um, when the shirt comes off, it's beginning yeah. to look a little frightening. <laughs> I mean, it was already frightening, but more frightening. <laughs> uh, Steve, I, I got a couple you. things I want to get to, but just but one of the games that so the NFL obviously it's American Thanksgiving. The NFL always plays Amer- games on American Thanksgiving. One of the teams that all well two of the teams Dallas always plays, but Detroit always plays and I don't know that Detroit has won a game ever. I mean they're they're just so perpetually pathetic. But one of the teams that was supposed to play today and they got put off till the weekend because of some stuff, probably COVID, I think it was, was Baltimore and Pittsburgh. And right. Baltimore has a quarterback, Lamar Jackson, who last year was unbelievable this guy you looked at this guy and you said this is the future of quarterbacking in the nfl there is give it two years three years and there is going to be nobody who is in his ballpark he is so good and you know what not even a year later steve lamar jackson is mediocre at best is this just a guy who has fallen off or have the other teams just figured him out? Cause something has happened with this guy. Yeah. I think it's a case of the teams figure everybody out eventually once they have film, you know, we've always heard that these guys are so smart. And I think when it comes to the quarterback position, you're going to get banged up eventually, but also the quarterback has to throw the football, you know, at some point you have to throw the football and, the guys who have always been runners first never seem to have the longevity. And I, we go back to Michael Vick, and we go to RG3, now Lamar Jackson, and then I think the next one up is the Murray kid from Arizona, who he looks like, what is he, 5'10", he's, he's quick as a hiccup, and he avoids hits. But sooner or later, they're going to catch up with him. And I think he might be the next guy who you say, wait a minute, at some point you have to throw the football at the quarterback position. Well, I mean, he threw it pretty well in that last play against the Bills, although, um, you know, that's uh, those Hail Marys. Yeah. I, al- I always question whether you should give the quarterback much credit for that because uh, there's a reason they call it a Hail Mary. He's not really, he's just heaving it. Correct. But you're right. I mean, there's him, there's, there's Patrick Mahomes even. Now, Mahomes has a little more of a track record for sure, but you know, and, and they don't seem, teams don't seem to be able to figure him out. But nonetheless, I just, you know what, it's just with Jackson. Mahomes, with Mahomes, too, good coaching, Andy Reid. But he has become, to me, a little bit of a pocket passer first. But he has the ability to scramble. I think that's the key, right? If you can be a pocket pa- passer first, but then when you get flushed out of the pocket, make things happen. And to me, that's kind of Mahomes. 
All right, let me get to what I really wanted to get with you today, and that is this. Um, a lot of people uh, around here have become, over the last number of years, diehard Toronto Raptors fans. My parents, who probably never, well, they watched me play basketball, and that would have put anybody off watching basketball, but they they have, in recent years, they have just, they're in with both feet all the way, and they're like so many other people. And they were, everybody was excited around here when Fred Van Vliet signed to stay with the team. but. But Fred Van Vliet signed a contract for four years for $85 million and says, now I can, his quote is, now I can finally for once exhale because now I'm relieved. This is a guy, Steve, that last year, for the last two years, was playing for $9 million a year. It's not a guy who's been on food stamps and having to eat macaroni and cheese all the time. How out, how out of complete touch with reality? Have oh. pro athletes become when you are saying, I can finally breathe because I no longer have to survive on that piddling yeah. $9 million a year. Exactly. And for Freddie, I believe it's the largest contract ever signed by a guy who was not drafted. So I believe you're right for that. But what you're saying is true. Even, even if you're in the highest tax bracket, which they are, and say you chop it in half, right? So last year, 9 million became 4 million. Boy, oh boy. And, and say your your work life is only five to 10 years. I think you can get by, you know? And for Freddie, he did a lot of that bet on myself mentality, right? Like he, he said, I'm going to bet on myself and, Boy, has he really, has it ever paid off for him too? Well, sure. But you know, that thing about that short career, I'll tell you something that used, that argument used to fly when athletes say, well, I have a short career, so I have to make my money. That argument used to fly once upon a time when a pro athlete go back to the days of, you know, 1970s hockey players and a, a hockey player was making, you know, what a lawyer might make in two or three years, mm-hmm. right? So you're making, you're making good money. But you're not making so much money that it's ludicrous. And so you say, yeah, my career may only be five years. And if I'm making two to three times what a good empl- a good job is making, all right, I got, I got, you know, five years to make what I'd make in 15 or 20. It made right. sense then. But now when you're talking about 85 divided by, so you're making $21 million a year. I don't know about you, Steve. I'm not going to make $21 million in no. three lifetimes, in five <laughs> right. lifetimes. Yes, uh, add a few lifetimes onto that. And, you know, here's the other thing with Freddie. If you go back to the championship run in the Sixers series, he almost was unplayable. He didn't match up well. And he, he, he was benched, really. And then he, he obviously came back, and I think he had better matchups, and they, the coaches found a spot for him. But you parlay that into a guy who you couldn't even put on the floor into a year and a bit later, he's signing that contract. Like, Look, he's a great player. He's a, he's a good player. And we got to take a break. We're going to come back. He's a really okay. good player. I'm not knocking his skill. I'm not knocking his drive, his motivation, how hard he's worked, all the rest. It's, it's, it was more the comment. Well, finally, for once I can exhale. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. I have come to grips long ago with the fact that I'm never making athletes money. So there's no issue here where I'm looking at someone else and saying, well, I should get what he makes. No, 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 no one in radio, save for maybe Howard Stern and Joe Rogan. And they're, you know, doing other stuff, uh, are getting that kind of money. 
this is this is just about Steve the Van Vliet's comments more than anything just to me grabbed my craw a little bit and said you guys and and he seems like for most people they see him as a lovable likable guy and yet he's the guy you're going you just seem so completely out of touch with the world when you make comments like that it's almost like Brewster's millions like you or I we could give it a shot I don't know if we could spend 85 million you know like it's so out of touch it's so out of touch to the regular Joe and you know you mentioned Howard Stern Joe Rogan and them too and it's almost the same Scott as Tony Romo making more as a broadcaster and yeah. now he's getting so much and then Jim Nance goes I want to make Tony Romo money and you're going Jim Nance what he's the voice of the Masters March Madness NFL and Tony Romo's making three times as much I just wonder if this, I just, yeah, it is. And and I just wonder if this has any impact on people's perceptions of Van Vliet or not even just, I mean, we're talking about him because his contract is just done. I mean, look, we could pick any other athlete along the way. It's not, we're not just picking on him, but when you suddenly are a guy who's making 85 million and you've been this lovable underdog, scrappy guy like us who came out of nowhere before now that you're an $85 million player, does that change people's opinions of you? Yeah. And does, or does it change the expectations, right? Like before you, like you said, he was the underdog. He's, he's like you and I before, even though we didn't realize how much money he was making, we knew he's an athlete. So he's doing better than us, but he was the underdog. So we could identify him. So now are we going to have the uh, different expectations of him? Like Freddie, you can't get benched in a playoff series now. You got to be the leader out there. The other thing that uh, the other comment, the line, the 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 phrase that I hear from athletes all the time. That every time I hear it, I I, I really do want to jump through my radio or my TV or my computer screen. And uh, I have no homicidal impulses within my body, but this is when <laughs> I get a little bit closer. And that is when they talk about how well I, you know, I've worked really hard to get this like you know which is the suggestion that somehow athletes have worked harder at their craft than anybody else has worked at their craft right so someone who's a teacher has worked very hard if you're a good teacher you've worked very hard to be a good teacher you didn't just show up and go okay i'm here and, you know and if you are a mechanic you've you've gone through an apprenticeship probably or a plumber or an electrician you've worked really hard to be good at your job but somehow when athletes sign an $85 million contract, so, well, I've put in the work and I've really worked. Yeah, so has everybody else. You're no different. You just get this money. So maybe some humility and not when you do your logo for your new brand, a bag of money in the middle of it, which again, I I, I really think Van Vliet is, is changing attitudes and not in a positive way. Yeah, I agree. He's uh He's in a different league now, that's for sure, and it's kind of oozing out of him a little bit, right? So I guess it's, I wish my dad had a, tied my right hand behind my back and said, here, go, here's a baseball, go throw it left-handed, right? Yeah. <laughs> I want to be a left-handed pitcher. That's, that's another license to print money, I think. Well, it is. And, and, you know, where it really, and, and your old running mate, Bob O'Neill and I were on here the other day talking about this, but... What really you start to see now, James Harden, who plays for the Houston Rockets, turning down a fifth, a multi-year 50 million, 50 million dollar a year contract. 
And that was one of the other points, along with this Van Vliet thing, when I said, wait a second, we are now living in a time when it's become uncomfortable, if it wasn't already, when you have people making so much money that they could reject a multi-year, $50 million a year contract because they just want to play somewhere else. And Harden is a good player, like top 10, may arguably top five, but he's so one-dimensional, right? And at 50 million, like you say, he's turning down. That sums up 2020. Like we have had a weird, weird year and Harden turning down a a one-dimensional player who's good at what he does, but it's one-dimensional. And I don't think he's a championship guy. I don't think he's a guy that will be ever on a championship team unless he's in some all-star team, which maybe he'll join someone, but turning down 50 million is, I thought I rolled my eyes and you almost throw your hands up because yeah. What if you're any of those people, like you were mentioning earlier in any other trade, right? Like, how do you look at that? And, and how do you stomach it? And how do you, how do you, how do you get the money together to go to these games? How do you, and we got to run, but how do you, as a professional athlete, even if, okay, they offer you 50 million over four years, five years, even if you want to go play somewhere else, as a human being, how do you not at that point say, you know, I can live a lavish life beyond all reasonable things on $5 million a year. Imagine what I could do for the world, for Africa, for people in my neighborhood, if I grew up in rough areas or whatever, with that extra money, you know what? I, I have to take that money just so I can do those things. I I don't even understand how you could possibly turn it down. I really don't. And, or demand more somewhere else, right? Like how much more could you get by going somewhere else? Like it's, it's beyond rational. Uh, It is uh, all of it is beyond rational, unfortunately. Uh, Steve Foxcroft, love having you. Sorry, go ahead. Scott, thankfully, we're here to keep it rational for everybody. The Scott Radley Show, weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.